Welcome back to my channel, folks. Thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're safe. Here in London, it's raining, so it's the perfect day to sit and listen to experts. I have an incredible entrepreneur coming on in just a moment. She's in the waiting room. I'm going to bring her on in a moment. Joanne Oi, she's an art dealer, she's an entrepreneur, she's a marketing genius, and she's a very nice person, she's a good friend of mine. So I'm very excited about having her come on in just a moment and share her story and knowledge with you guys. And then in about half an hour, we have an incredible entrepreneur who's launching a new mental health business. We're gonna help her, me, Joanne, and you. We're gonna give her some advice. Maybe there's someone in your network that can help her. Maybe you can personally support her. So please stick around and join us in about half an hour after we've heard from Joanne and her expertise and story. We're going to get into helping that founder succeed. That's our mission here, as you guys know. We want to help 1 million people start a business of their own. So far, we've helped 76 people start a business. We think the butterfly effect of that could be huge. We all know right now people are struggling to find a job. And our motto is create a job for yourself. Now is the time, no better time than right now to start a business. We have all sorts of tools to help you. We have, of course, our Good Luck Club podcast where we interview the world's most successful entrepreneurs and they share their story. Just last week, we had William Reeve, who was the founder of Love Films. He uh, not only um, sold that business for 200 million pounds to Amazon, he since has gone on to create all sorts of incredible businesses. Um, and I think that you will find his insights amazing. I learned something. I built 18 companies. I've invested in 68 startups. I think I know it all. And then I meet these people. And I have learned so much interviewing these people. I promise you, if you take the time to listen to their stories, you'll feel inspired. You'll hear a similar problem to what you might have right now and how to solve it. And I know for sure that you'll fall in love with the guests. So please do check it out. We have, um, as you guys know, one-on-one uh, -on -one mentor sessions now. I've managed to convince a lot of other successful entrepreneurs to give up their time for free and help you guys. So I know a lot of the time you guys ask questions. The question comment section isn't big enough to reply sometimes with the answers you need. So we have allocated 15 minutes for 15 people every week to try and help you get the answers you need. I always tell people my knowledge I can give it all to you in 15 minutes. If you ask me a question, I can often give you the solution to that problem within 15 minutes, or I know someone that can. So one-on-one -on -one sessions you can book through the purposefulproject.com website. So please feel free. It's available for anyone. So we never ask for anything. All we say is that if you are successful from our help, that one day you join our network and do the same. Give your time with no expectation in return. So. I think um, I will just mention as well that uh, next week's podcast is with Nick Jenkins. He was a dragon on Dragon's Den on season 13 and 14. He was my favorite dragon, just don't tell the other dragons. I really enjoyed the way he used to always talk to entrepreneurs. He was always so knowledgeable, honest, fair, and decent. And I am absolutely honored to have him on the podcast next week. He sold his business, Moonpig, for 150 million pounds. He personally took home 42 million pounds from that transaction and has gone on to do all sorts of amazing things. He's now an investor in startups. He advises all sorts of organizations on things like education. He's giving back. You will love his podcast next week. He is an incredible individual. So I, um, I now would like to invite Joanna to come onto the stage and say hello to you all. I always say Joanna because I'm dyslexic. Joanne, how are you? 
I'm good. I'm good. I'm very happy to be on your show, Simon. Finally, it's an absolute pleasure. I've, I've, I think when I started this whole process a year ago, I, I wrote to you and said, "Please come on." So it's an absolute honor to have you here today. So, so tell my audience that don't know you a little bit about who you are and what you're about. Well, I'm best known as the former creative director of Shanghai Tang. When the Richemont Group took it over, I turned it around, following on the heels of David Tang. And then I founded an environmental group. By the way, this was all taking place in Hong Kong, where I spent more than 20 years before moving to England five years ago. After that, I spent seven years at Shanghai Tang, and then I decided, out of sheer, I think, a combination of boredom and just feeling like、um, diminishing marginal returns kicking into. I decided to go into the environment, a crazy horizontal leap, because I wanted to parlay my really huge Rolodex in Asia into something that was going to have an impact on civil society and be good for more than just people consuming luxury goods. That was、uh, amazing because I was a political lobbyist, I was an activist. I got a really inside, intimate view of how the Hong Kong government worked, and that was actually, off, of course, during its more halcyon days. Um, and then, before I moved to England, I founded a, a bricks and clicks business called Plucka, which was a fine jewelry business founded essentially on the same principle originally as Pinduoduo, which is the batch consolidation e-commerce platform, which is now a zillion-dollar machine in China.、Uh, but、um, and, but we ended up actually taking an online-only model and and. Converting it into bricks and clicks because fine jewelry doesn't translate that easily into an online-only business, and that is I, I, that is what I was doing before I moved to England five years ago.、Um, and then since then, I've been living in the countryside, believe it or not. And and it's not an understatement to say that moving from Hong Kong to the middle of the British countryside is like a roller coaster hitting a brick wall, going at fifty miles an hour. But it but now I'm.、Um, I, I mean, it took me a while to settle in, but now that I'm now a consultant, I am a journalist. I am involved. I've got my finger in many different pies. What do you?、Um, a lot of my listeners are in the UK and in Hong Kong, and and for those that were thinking of going between the two destinations, I mean, what do you think the main differences are, say, in business between the two markets, and 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 how do you how do you navigate England versus Hong Kong?、Um, I had to navigate it. The hard way, which was to basically hit my head against a brick wall <laughs> many times when I first moved here.、Um, but really, to, to answer your question seriously, I would say that first, especially since I'm a marketer, first and foremost, that I had to learn, especially in the countryside, that marketing can be a bad word. Okay, because in Hong Kong, it's always about wearing your Rolodex. On your sleeve, and networking is a way of life. I mean, it's just something that people do second, as a second nature activity. And there's always this unspoken overlay of paying it forward, of potential commercial benefit, not in a nasty, mercenary, ugly way. It's just the Hong Kong way of life. British culture is the antithesis of that, and really frowns on it. So I think when I moved here, I made it a point, for example, to get in front of people that I wanted to work with or or get involved, where I, whose businesses I wanted to get involved with. And I'm I'm not going to mince words. It backfired. I think I think that that my entire demeanor and how I'm very much on the front foot about what I'm good at,、um, the fact that I want to do business with you, which is the Hong Kong way. Where business deals get concluded over WeChat or WhatsApp in a matter of minutes, literally, or at least the the decision to meet up in person, that is just not par for the course here. 
and in comparison, living in England, sometimes you have to work on a lead. A, a mere acquaintance remains a mere acquaintance for a very long time, maybe months. So I would say that the amount of time it takes to get something done here is very protracted and telescoped compared to the Asian timeline. Um, and, and, and just like the general mentality is very different. Now, interestingly, what I've seen having lived in Hong Kong for so long is I've seen that the Hong Kong mainland Chinese culture of workaholism has seeped into global business culture generally because of instant messaging and just the pervasiveness of technology and the changing expectations, the very exigent expectations of instantaneous reaction. Um, that's become par for the course in any high-powered or startup company these days. That, and to me, that's a relief. Mm. So um, I would say that that's, and then finally, and all equally maddening, maddeningly, I would say, and part and parcel of the, what I was describing is also the, of course, British culture, its manner of communication is very elliptical, purposely even contradictory, elliptical, oblique. But just very difficult to navigate in terms of plain English. Um, so once, one time I found myself seated next to the chairman of the, the Royal Opera House or, and, I, and I actually really wanted to talk to him about something very specific. <laughs> but I knew that I should just bite my tongue and socialize with him and keep it extremely super, superficial and um, uh, just very trite. I, that's really, honestly, and I knew that if I was going to broach business, I would probably end up sh shooting myself in the foot because I would be considered too aggressive and um, just too aggressive, basically. Right. So mm -hmm. now you can just by in the few minutes that you've allowed me to speak, you can tell that my persona is very much about verbal communication, being very direct. Um, I love business. I love commercial life. I mean, it was it was it was very difficult for me to adjust to it. I would say it took about two years. I had the same experience, and um, it sounds you know if, if for people that don't experience both markets, it can sound like you're saying one market is better than the other. I guess they both have their strengths and weaknesses, right? What and what you're saying is, I think you know it's it's quite stark the difference. Like you're you you as long as I've known you, you are you know. 100% authentic, you are straight to the point, you are no nonsense and, and clear. And, and, and ironically, um, you know, I, I, feel, I feel like in, in England, you, you do have to be a bit like marketing, for example, like you said at the beginning, it's so true. Marketing is, is a, like sales, it's almost a dirty word. So like, oh, don't sell me something. Well, ever, everything works if you are able to sell things. In the end, everybody's selling something. You know, it's just it just seems to go around a long circle here. And and whereas in Hong Kong, I feel like no one's got time to waste. We we have a meeting to get a deal done, to make a decision, right? Whereas in England when yeah. you have a meeting, it is sometimes just to, to suss you out, you know, and figure out what you're about and, and, and take your time. I mean, at the same time there's uh, so many things I cherish about British culture. I, I just to put it on a very simple non business level. I think that the the friendships that I forged since living here are very genuine because of the factors that I just described. So there is a clear delineation of these two lives, generally, social life, commercial life. It, there's quite a, a, a wall between them, not maintained on purpose, but they just 
tend to be there. That's just how things develop over time here. I think that's quite natural. And then I think um, because life is less commercial, like nakedly commercial, I think there's also more room for artistry and creativity and originality to spring up because it's just, it's not as statistically, quantitatively, algorithmically driven as a vast bulk majority of the business world is is nowadays. And that's something that I appreciate in, in, in England a lot. There's a lot more um, small business. There's a lot more small, beautiful business. I think also uh, it has a, such a long history also of encouraging su subversion. I don't mean political subversion. I mean a, a creative subversion and which continues to flourish until now. So those are things which I found extremely wanting in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And um, and it goes without saying that has also that also is one of the reasons that the cultural scene here is so incredibly stimulating and vibrant. Mm, that's true. I, I personally, um, you know, when I moved back from Hong Kong from Hong Kong to uh, to the UK, I did it in part because I felt like I, I wanted, you know, I wanted more friends. You know, I wanted, I want, I felt in Hong Kong that I knew a lot of people, but having that kind of deep connection because in Hong Kong people, you know, for example, they move every three years, right? I mean. The heads of banks, everyone gets moved every three years. So you make a friendship and then they move. And and so whereas in England, you know, it's definitely um, has its challenges in the speed, but I think it does make up for it in when you do make that connection, it can be very, very deep. And like you say, you make genuine friendships once you break through uh, the initial um, staid approach uh, to, 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 to the way things are done. But I've got a lot, a lot of comments online, people enjoying your honesty about um, the way way it works. So that's great. I mean, um, I was really fascinated uh, around you know these two words that I think um, you know you, you, in your description some of the things that, and how you think. I mean, polymath I've heard before. Um, I, for those that don't know, you know what is a polymath? It's somebody who's well well versed in many different fields of knowledge and um, skill, basically. Yeah. So that's. I don't think it, somebody doesn't usually aim to be a polymath. I mean, one is just becomes one because it's it's the natural inclination to want to graze on many different subjects for different reasons. Sometimes out of innate natural curiosity. Some part for me, and also because I know you have a large a lot of business listeners. I think it's been integral to my success at every phase of my career to be aware of what's going on in extremely disparate industries because at the end of the day it allows you to just get an eagle's eye view on the zeitgeist much more um how would you say naturally it's not something that you can think about it's not something that you can analyze consciously and just dots begin to connect by themselves you know for example we're in media i mean i make it a huge i will follow tech and culture a lot very stay abreast of tech i would say is the most important thing for me mm which is might seem weird because I'm not in it per se. Mm -hmm. um, but for example, now I'm taking an NCI course on blockchain and I, I religiously follow tech podcasts and read up on tech because they're going to affect culture enormously. And the direction that the, the manifestation of culture, the types of technologies that will be incorporated into, into culture, what blockchain can do for consumerism, what business models are going to be disintermediated and what business configurations will actually take root because of the advent of new technologies. So I think that to me, I've, and this has been something that I've been seeing for 20 years, basically, you know, before it became de rigueur to say a polymath or to just 
be to, to be more horizontal in general, not to lead a siloed life. Um, I think it's been just central to how I've been able to um, foresee to a large extent, a lot of trends in consumerism in content, in art and culture, for example. I've come to the conclusion um, I, I'm not a polymath, and um, I, 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 uh, I don't think I could be one, but luckily I've got a friend who is one, and I get your newsletters, <laughs> and I feel like I get a broad understanding of the world by reading your newsletters. So anyone listening must sign up to Joanne's newsletter. You, um, if you want to know, you know what's going on in the world, um, that newsletter really, I, I, I read it religiously when you, when, when you, when you do them, because uh, sometimes I know you get busy with life. And, but, but the other thing I find interesting about the concept of polymath is that you must be consuming information all the time. How do you keep oh, on top of like, that broad it, knowledge base? I do, I do hugely. I think, um, first, I don't read breaking news. Okay, so that's huge, because a lot of people spend like 90 minutes a day reading breaking news. I wrote about this. Uh, news is so, the news cycle is, it's constant, and it's actually iterative in micro updates. So, I mean, really, you really don't need to read breaking news, even though your dopamine, even though your dopamine response to it may be, oh, I got another New York Times news alert. It must contain material, substantially new updates. No. Okay. So, um, so I, I consume a huge amount of op-ed commentary for politics. I follow tech a ton. I, there, and I've also tried to find one fantastic resource per big category of information. Okay. So, this, I haven't written about this in the newsletter assignment. For example, I listen to Tech Beam Ride Home. It's a 17 to 20 minute podcast that is um, issued daily by a guy named Brian McCullough. He's in Silicon, he lives in San Francisco. It is an incredible, he's, he's reading 55 newsletters and The Verge and every single, and TechCrunch and every single important tech newsletter and news and media outlet. Through him, and he provides amazing analysis. I read Art Cube. That's uh, an art marketing, it's not even an art media outlet. It's an art marketing consultancy which produces a newsletter to promote mm -hmm. their consultancy, but it's superb. And it's mm -hmm. algorithmically driven and basically it collates and compiles the best resources, uh, best news articles of the week. So I try to do that. And then at the same time, this is a, I write about this a lot. I read a lot of, um, I've taken up reading after not reading for decades, I would say, because of course it's very difficult to do that. And I, and I look up a lot of the references that I find in nonfiction books. And of course, those are not breaking news on the front burner of my news flow from day to day. For example, I know that Lawrence Lessig, he's a, he's a law professor who wrote about um, the effect of, 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 of of the internet on democracy. He wrote a book about it in the 1990s. I will look, I will buy that book. I will read that, you know? So a lot of what I read is also resources and books which don't come out of the, everything that everybody's talking about. I think this is crucial because it's first, we're already living in that terrarium of the, of our own algorithmic preference. You have to make a really conscious effort to yank yourself out of that every day. And you've got to, I mean, I was starting to notice that when I talked to my son and my stepson, they would always be talking about the same big, like in a, in a big Venn diagram, the overlap between them and the references in mainstream and political culture were so similar. So if you, in order to do that, you've got to become, you, first you've got to start being consciously cognizant of that phenomenon. And then you have to 
actively look stuff up. And you have to read, and I, and I know that and more than half of the people listening to this are not active, are not reading regularly. But one of the things I do every day since COVID, I mean, I would say three months into COVID, I decided to reinstate reading to my daily mental diet. So every morning I read. Professional podcast here from a lockdown in London and the doorbell goes. I even put a note on the doorbell saying, please don't ring the doorbell. And here we are. Okay. You know, um, you, 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 you keep talking to the audience. Okay. And I'm okay. the okay. 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 Well, I've been, why don't you mute your mic until the oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I would say that one of the things that I have been doing as a kind of ironclad part of my daily regimen, no matter how busy I am now, I read for one hour a day. And by the way, another thing that I'm doing is I read a lot of conservative commentary. I'm actually reading Christopher Caldwell's The Age of Entitlement, which is about how the Civil Rights Act actually led more or less directly to political correctness and the buy-in of um, mainstream business, et cetera, et cetera. It's very controversial for, I mean, ordinarily a liberal would not be caught dead with that book. But one reason I, I read that, it's not because I, I didn't, at first it's brilliantly analyzed and written, but also I think it's important to just get inside the skin and the, and the, and the brain of conservatives and to see also to witness the, and read the coded language of both sides. There's so much coded language. So, okay. So anyway, my main point being that you've got to really actively consciously break out of the silo, not just of your comfort level, but just the ease with which we're, because we're fighting this fire hydrant of, the, of the, our newsletters, of our social media feed, all of which is already tailored to suit what is perceived our demonstrated preference set. So in order to, to, to break that, smash it, bypass it, it's really something that you have to be, you've got to work at practically every day. Mm. Well, it's a, it's a fascinating thing to have all that knowledge. And uh, I, I do find it hard just to focus in on one thing. So I, I admire people that can focus on many. It's definitely um, a superpower. Um, the other thing I, I, I found interesting when reading about you, um, you know, I've known you a long time, but when I was reading about you, I, I discovered new things. And this uh, transversal uh, mindset in business as well, that, that's something I also had to look up. But again, for my audience that doesn't know, how does it, how, what is that and how does it apply in your working life? Oh, I would say that that's related to the what my point being again about about um, being a polymath. I mean, it's basically that you are taking blockchain and then you're, put, you're really th thinking about it in the world of art. I mean, right. it's as simple as that. It's not that interesting. I mean, it, oh, I think I, I've talked a lot about that, but a polymathism is a part of part, part and parcel of that. It's basically crossing over what people would perceive as, as separate things. Like you're saying blockchain, people would think yeah. currency. Yeah. And you're yeah. saying taking that thing that seems like it's over here and in business yeah. and applying it into something yeah. like art, which isn't perceived as yeah, and 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 in in the context of business, one reason I think it's super important is because legacy business models frame the entire uh, discourse on a subject. For example, I apply I I um I read up a lot about consumer retail and luxury marketing, but I find that all of course it's all going out of business right now, or very or it's very it's facing a lot of adversity, and yet none of the prescriptions ever mention anything even close to just completely reconfiguring the business model. I mean, that, that's why it's so important to approach things from the standpoint of different industries with different, just different organizational paradigms. 
So mm -hmm. that that's and that gives huge massive insight. I mean, I'm 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 we're I I know at some point we're going to discuss my newest project, which is a a festival in East Anglia where I live called the EA Festival. I mean, I think I'm bringing to it a lot of I'm I'm completely deviating from a lot of its norms, and I think it's going to end up being a better product because I'm not. I don't think, okay, it's gotta be mono-themed. It's not about art, literature, music, or any specific thing. I'm already thinking about every event has to be offered in real life and online. How do I create a media brand around the whole thing? You know, I'm like bringing every single thing that I can, bringing it, bringing it to bear. I'm bringing my experience of consumer merchandising and retail, um, crowdfunding, you know, my NGO experience to mount a very difficult project, which is very good for the community. How do I bring more stakeholders into, into the tent that way? I mean, I, I think um, having all these disparate in, types of knowledge in various industries is, is really important. And I think it pays off handsomely by not feeling embarrassed to contemplate models, which actually in certain conversations, you may actually come off looking like a totally, like a total silly ignoramus. But but in this situation, you know, I'm, I'm not scared to, I'm always the person who just raises their hand and says, I don't understand this term of art, I'm totally ignorant, please help me. Mm. Yeah, so the, the event itself just looks amazing. Um, I've had the privilege, folks, of, of seeing the deck and how, how it's all gonna play out. But the event, um, I mean, not many people are planning an event right now. So it's also, when I when I read that there's a this amazing event gonna happen, you know, my heart lifts because I'm like, you know, yes, you've got some online components, of course, that's key, like you just said. But I, I also, I almost dream that we're actually going to have events again. You know, like you know, we're, we're, that that excites me. You know, and and so thank you for doing that, giving me hope. And July is now my, you know, we, we, we end we, of July, end of July, end of July, first of July to the first of September. So um, no, 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 August, July thirty first. Oh, sorry. And, and, and August, uh, July 31st and August 1st. It's a two-day yeah, so It's on the event. screen, folks. It's on the screen. 31st of July to the 1st of August. Yeah, absolutely. And it's called the EA Festival, which is awesome. But what made you have this idea? What was the, you know, aha moment for this? What what, what made you decide you had to do this event? Okay, well, um, when I first, about three years ago, I wanted to start an online hub for artists, for the art scene in East Anglia. So I started with that. Okay, first I first perceived that there were literally thousands of artists living in East Anglia. It was really obvious to me, just from a sheer anecdotal observational perspective, getting invited to stuff at the same time and by through the same observation. I saw how there's it was very there's no network, there's no organization, there's no commercial connective tissue, there's just basically no real ecosystem to speak of at all. Either way, to sell art or to learn about it. So I wanted to do that online. And then as it turned out, because of all the things I just discussed, I just described about living in England in the countryside, I didn't find anybody who wanted to do it with me. And actually having many years of entrepreneurship under my belt and living in the middle of, in a rural place, you know, one of the reasons that you wanna do a business sometimes is because you want a team. You wanna wake up and feel like completely energized and, and psyched to work with your team member or partner, whatever. And yet nobody actually raised their hand and said, oh, this is a great idea, let's do it. By the way, I finally found somebody through my festival who now by, basically wants to totally get behind it, which is amazing. Um, so 
I gave up actually. I, I, I write about this in the in the website. But then finally, my 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 motivation totally dwindled because everybody was just would look at me kind of blankly. Um, and then during COVID, I was at this one of the rare social meetings. We were having dinner, and I was just talking about how I'd been to this poetry festival in Scotland. I'm like a huge festival goer because I'm a culture vulture. And they just said, my friends just after because after several years, I finally made some really great friends. They finally said, why don't you just? They they were saying, well, you know, it would be amazing to start a culture festival. Why don't you do it? And I said, oh, come on, get out. You know, it's not, let me, you know, the online art hub idea went nowhere, blah, blah, blah. And then um, by sh a combination of just a kind of chance, I, I, and, then if, and then learning that I had mutual friends. Okay, by chance, somebody said, you need to meet this man named Andrew S. Doesn't, I don't have to mention his full name. And um, in a few weeks, I ended up meeting him in person because I had, we ended up having mutual friends and it was just like a thunderbolt. And I wrote about this in my newsletter. It's really about people. I mean, he just immediately championed the idea, hugely encouraged me, jumped into action, was introduced me to Headingham Castle, where we're going to hold the festival, laid the groundwork for them to be on board, I just encouraged me to the hilt, invited Evelyn Glennie and the and John Lloyd. John Lloyd is the UK's top TV comedy, top comedy producer. He created Black Adder and and um, and QI and Spitting Image. He's a legend. And they just basically got right on board. And they were they were very very encouraging. And one thing since one thing led to another. And and it's been a cascade of goodwill since then. And like I said, it actually led to somebody the director of the Contemporary Art Museum here, when I told her how I came to the, this situation, she said, I'm interested in the online art hub, by the way. Mm -hmm. So everyone has come out of the woodwork to help me. I have been absolutely amazed and gratified to see the kinds of incredible reception and support that I'm getting. And I think it's just a question of tapping into the right node, into a network which is actually teeming with positive energy. Because you know, Simon, you know me. I mean, I'm somebody who just cannot help but team with with positive energy in general. So I think it was just a, a magic moment of serendipity where I met this person, and they just basically um, tapped into this really rich vein of goodwill, and it's just been one going from strength to strength since then. Yeah, I, I, your your energy though. Um, I'm getting so many people comment about it. You ju you just bring energy to the things that you do. I mean, even myself. Um, I have decided to sponsor your event. I want to support it. And, you know, and, and, I, and I am not uh, a culture vulture, um, but, but, but I love people. I love people that make things happen. And I love people that, that create something from their head and make it real. And you, you wow. kind of, I've noticed, because I've, um, I've been sending you my podcasts as they yes. come through. Yes. Your intuition on people is, is also quite incredible. And so, you know, you, you know people, right? You can figure out people, oh, yeah. how, to help them, how, to, how to motivate them. That, that is a real skill. Where did you learn that skill? Is that from your parents, self-taught or just instinct? I think that's just instinct. And also, I also think this is a big, big thing. I think, and I think you feel it because it's that, you know, you get, you get my energy. I am very, I mean, I always make this joke, Prozac runs through my veins, okay? And people around me can, they can feel it vaporizing off because I, I love mentoring young people. I, I'm very civic minded. When I started the NGO, I was a chapter that opened that never closed, basically. 
I, I just get, and I think that I, um, I, and I'm very proud of this. I'm a, and you are, you're exactly the same way. I'm a very pay it forward person. So I, and I believe in that. And I feel like this gen, just kind of this general karmic boomerang that will come back and end up benefiting me. It doesn't have to be pecuniary. I know that it will benefit me in this kind of uplifting, just human way. And I think especially during COVID, this is an important thing to remind ourselves of that this kind of, for example, even our interpersonal interaction today is really positive and a huge shot in the arm to me. So yeah, so no, I'm really, really happy that you could feel that. So that, and I think it, it that is what actually, be, ha, having been an activist also, I mean, and, and, and you're a huge champion of entrepreneurs and an entrepreneur yourself. I still believe so much, even in this age of technology, uh, I don't want to say despite, but in the power of the individual is still a paramount belief, like in, in my universe. You know, and what I'm doing now is something where I'm tr I, I, I've been lucky that I've been given an opportunity to harness it. So, and so thank, thank you for giving that. By the way, today is a very big day for me. I also want to say when you messaged and said, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? And then I said, finally, yes, because there's something I want to talk about this festival. Um, this is my first public mention of the festival. So I have an exclusive. Finally. You, you, you do, you do, you do. Because I, I also said to myself, treat this as the exploding gun deadline. <laughs> I'm getting every, getting all the ducks in a row, and I have. So, I mean, I'm planning to launch the website at the end of the month, and I and I will. I mean, I will because it's basically done. Well, it's uh, very exciting. And um, I guess people can click on the link in your your, your website below and, and register on your mailing list at least. So if they're interested in the festival, you By can... By the way, Squarespace doesn't permit that. So sign up to my newsletter instead. And you can find me on, on Twitter at Joanne yeah. Uwe. Joanne Uwe. So, um, you, we'll and you can send it to my newsletter there. Yeah. So if anyone who uh, listens to this later as well, we'll put, we'll put the links uh, down below uh, for you to reach out to Joanne directly. Um, you're getting so many questions. You know, I have to have you back on just to go into the detail of marketing. A lot of people asking about like marketing, how it works. I mean, I, I, I would just say that, you know, you want to know what marketing is. It's just feel the energy of Joanne. You know, like marketing is sometimes overcomplicated. It is just simply communication, isn't it? Energy. Well, it's okay. No, okay. There's, we could, I think I would love to do that because I love, I, I love marketing. And I always say I've marketed everything literally from potato chips to Picasso's. So I think it's really isolate. There's a couple of things. First, I mean, I don't want to get into it, Simon, because this is a whole seminar. Um, yeah, but think, but a lot of it is that instinct. It is like as you say, a lot of it is that. Yeah, well, let, let's do a let's do a, 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 a webinar or something to help people on marketing. Because I, I know you've got so much knowledge, and and it's only fair that we 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 uh, give people some insights on that. Because I, I I think marketing, and you said it at the beginning of this podcast. It's so important in English culture, in Hong Kong culture, it can transform a business. That's what you did with Shanghai Tang, I think. When you when you took it over, I, I felt like the marketing just became this incredible force that that, that made that business so successful. You know, Thank and you. I think, you know, it, it's something that um, a lot of people can study, but it, it is something the nuance of it is so important. And so we'll have to do that. I'd love to do that with you. We'll do a webinar for people around that. But now um, you mentioned as well, you like to help young people. I know you help a lot of yeah. entrepreneurs. And we have an entrepreneur coming on now. Uh, Syria uh, um, is joining us. So let me bring you on. Um, hopefully the tech all works. Yes, I think it does. Hi. Hi, Syria. Am I saying your name right? It's pronounced Saraya. 
So Raya, thank you so much. Yes, it's so thanks nice for having me on. You. Welcome, and uh, I'm trying I'm, to see where I where where am I supposed to sit? I can't yeah. see my face. <laughs> yeah, no way. Go. You're working there you out. There you Hi, are. Hi Joanne. Hi Simon. Hi. Thanks for having Hi. me on. Pleasure. Well, do you mind just uh, starting off? Um, I've, I've been reading about you, but just for my audience interest, could you just share a little bit about what you're up to and, and perhaps how we can help you today? Yeah, so a bit of a convoluted um, story, really. Um, I know the information that I've shared with you guys is um, around my um, community interest company, which is for the Mindkind Project. Um, so I probably need to go back a little bit to let you know how that how that was born, really. So. I come from a business background um, and I worked for many years in insurance um, and through my job in insurance I ended up with teams and teams of people who I ended up supporting with mental health issues and the work-life balance and all that kind of jazz and it was a really interesting role I built lots of skills a lot of understanding around frameworks growing businesses that kind of stuff um, I then had a personal tragedy in 2017 and, and lost my partner and had two small children at the time. Sorry. It really made me question what the legacy was that I wanted to leave. Prior to this, you know, having having worked in the banking industry as well previously, it was a it was a great accomplishment to me to leave a framework behind or a risk framework behind that people would work from. But at that time in my life, I thought, actually, I really want my legacy to be something deeper. I always wanted to work within the community. Um, I was an activist when I was younger, got a, a master's in human rights, you know, wanted to save the world. And then you kind of, you fall into work and you fall into regular paychecks and, and those kind of dreams kind of disappear. So I stepped back and thought, what do I, what do I want to do? I want to achieve um a work-life balance where i'm doing something i love but i'm also there for my children at the time i was working across three different sites up and down the country um and i wasn't seeing them uh, you know they were in childcare most of the time so i took the decision to take my skills and and go and help the community that i live in so i quit my job um which i really loved but said goodbye to them and walked into a community project and said right you can have me for a year it's all i can afford to give you but you've got me for a year and i'll move the project forward so that's what i did and the the experience that i had juggling the mental health of my own children and their stability myself other parents um as well as helping this organization in the community really gave me a deep insight into the kind of problems our society is facing now and just how quickly mental health is impacting children you know um the stats are really scary you know one in one in six children will experience a clinical mental health issue by the time they are 15 and that that i mean i'm not talking low mood or anything like that i'm talking serious clinical mental health issues so that then sent me on a path to setting up the Mindcoin projects. Um, so the Mindcoin projects, we we run a series of different programs. Part of what we do is um, running men's social clubs, a safe space to talk for men, to volunteer, stuff like that. 
and we also run a program for women to come and share their experiences receive um, support as well um, but through all of that I developed a range of products to support children and families unfortunately I found that a lot of the families we support just haven't had the early intervention with their children to give build the resilience so that actually when we do come across issues in life which undoubtedly we all will um they just don't have those interact the, the tools to bounce back from that um so the products that i've created are to build the tools of resilience with a child when they are very young and they're really really interactive so that's kind of what i wanted to talk about and get some support on today um i've done my research i've got sort of the range in my mind it's something i've been developing for the last four or five years um but kind of where i'm stuck now is how do i get to manufacturers how do i market this how do i crowdfund and all those things i guess that every entrepreneur is looking at right at the beginning that makes sense yeah well i honestly think we have one of the world's most amazing marketeers here today so joanne any, any thoughts on this first i want you to define um it's more clearly to me anyway the the products themselves i mean are they when you say okay so the products are they objects or is it video content is it reading material like they are all? objects they are, they are toys so one of one of the things that we practice and is in is deep rooted into our 12-week program is the practice of gratitude and affirmation and what we found is actually in adulthood especially with covid now a lot of people are starting to self-respect uh, reflect and into and kind of go inward and really understand the benefits of becoming one with ourselves and reaffirming um reaffirming what's important to us practicing gratitude on a daily basis and the key thing about that is actually in childhood we experience life shocks that can kind of stay with us throughout adulthood. Now, life shocks can be anything from someone making a flippant comment about a character trait, but actually in the when a child is developing, those things are, are, are really, really key to their um, development later on in adulthood. So the product that I've created is actually a system of going through the affirmations and the gratitudes with a child and helping them to independently um, make that part of their life as they grow older. So that actually when they are experiencing issues in life, it's something to fall back on that is an innate uh, reaction rather than, you know, kind of falling into low mood and anxiety and, and the other things that are common problems in our world today. Sure, but I mean, but on a really brass tacks, just simple basis, I mean, just yeah. describe to me the physical object. Like, what would yeah. the package look like? Or just, just so I understand, like, I mean, because yeah. I think, because I'll, 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 I'll tell you what I'm thinking once you just give me yeah. a few more basic facts. This is where, guys, I wanted your input, actually, because at the moment, I've got um, trademark licenses for both products, okay. um, but I haven't yet got patents. And it's really difficult to start to engage people in and, and kind of discuss what the products are openly. Like, what is oh, your agree. experience of that? 
Oh, you mean design patents are very hard to, uh, I mean, to to obtain. I mean, they're a good idea. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 one. However, however, I do wanted to say something to you, Soraya. Hmm. I think that Simon and I know that unless, um, it's gotta have a proprietary scientific design. Um, otherwise also Simon and I know that ideas are relatively cheap. That, you know, it's always about the bloody mindedness of the entrepreneur. Yeah. At any given time, I have like 10 ideas in my head. So I, you know, try to disclose a little bit more. But I mean, is it like, would you, would it take the form of a playing card of a top or I, I don't even know, a box? I mean, but we don't have to get into it too deeply. But I understand what you're saying. You don't want to, you want, you want to be yeah. careful. Yeah. Um, so, okay. so they are, they are physical. Um, so the, the one is called Batitude. Um, and it's, 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 basically a bear essentially okay um, there, is, there is a scientific element technology a new technology element to it which i'm looking into patenting at the moment um but essentially it's a, it's a it's an interactive toy that goes through all of these things with the child now the great thing about it is a parent can sit with the child and have that connection and that time with them where they can use it as a mindful moment or the child can do it on their own um, and it's just it, it's giving them those tools and skills in a playful way. Okay. That's great. That's great. Okay. So just like off the top of my head, okay, there's two approaches that make sense logically based on the type of object you want to commercialize. You can either come at it from, from a marketing perspective. Okay. They can be marketed as toys or they can be marketed as from the standpoint of mental health. Obviously there's much less competition on the mental health front. So I would, I would start with that. Okay, so the first two inquiries I would make, and I'm sure you've already done one of them already, is the competitive universe of toys, which would be roughly in the same category marketed alongside. I'm sure there's not that many, although probably quite a few claims are made that um, certain toys have emotionally, psychologically, therapeutic, calming, different effects on, on children. So you need to basically make like a, a, a competitor, uh, like a, log all the competitive universe of products and then I would study okay then I would study like Google them find out where they have been how how they've been promoted and sold do they have partners other stakeholders I mean but I, I wouldn't get too bogged down you need to you need to do that preliminary analysis okay so I hope that you already have and then I then you have to but but the thin end of the wedge okay the path of least resistance for you is obviously to approach the commercialization and the marketing from the mental health angle because there's going to be a much more um because in that realm your product is not a service but a toy so it's going to there's not going to be very much competition arriving at your proposition through that channel so i would suggest first okay do that preliminary research what have you found so far so so far um I was astounded to find that there's actually nothing similar um, to the point where um, the solicitor I have involved kind of done a lot of checks for me, pro bono type of thing. Um, so I've done those checks. Um, I have really good relationships with NHS, um, who are a partner with our organisation already and really keen to have something like this available to them, especially with the focus on early intervention um, in education. So. I guess I have already kind of looked down the educational mental health route with the product um, and there's a good 
I fill market space, but you know, my experience is limited. So I've done I've done that research and obviously I know the toy market is really, really competitive. Okay. Um, it was something I wanted to approach with you know, going to toy fairs and things like that this year. But my advice is not is going to yeah. avoid that. It's going to be avoiding that route. I would get an advisor involved okay. in your business who has some scientific credibility to pronounce upon this and who by allying themselves with you is going to be able to um, allow you to buttress your claims about a psychologically therapeutic effect of the toy. Okay. Yeah. And then you basically, I'm sure you're already quite an expert about this because you were doing these community projects in the past. I mean, you need to basically get a big co compile, a huge list of all the mental health, child mental health NGOs. Um, I'm sure there's directory listings also of those kinds of child mental health counselors, professionals, NGOs. You need to basically market through them. And I think right. that you're going to find that if you have the advisor, I think the thing is about your product that it has a scientific or pseudo-scientific, psychological, therapeutic claim that it's making. You need to basically work on substantiating and, and reinforcing that as much as possible in the presentation of the product. Okay, and, and you have to make sure that there's meat on the bones of those claims. Yeah. I, 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 you probably, I, I don't know, I, I don't know how anyone would conduct a study to show that. Uh, you might be able to just do that anecdotally, by the way, by just doing some informal focus groups with kids and, and, and compiling feedback from p parents and children. But that's also in the, like the front of house marketing that the public would see. So an advisor, I would do the, like some kind of focus grouping where you could actually get, get glean some meaningful feedback where there could be attribution to you, the user group of quotes, you know, and, and statements about how it helped my child feel, what, they became more resilient. Whereas they used to be like in, in, in a play group before, they, now they're like after playing with this, this toy, now they've, they've undergone a transformation, things like that, okay? But then I would also say very important for your business is SEO, search engine optimization. Okay, so you need to um, make sure that the message, the messaging and the content on your site is going to be, and you wanna engineer a meeting of minds between people who are searching for children's mental health and the content on your website. You could do that by just read up on SEO. I mean, you, because I don't think there's many products in your category, so it's not a fiercely competitive space where you necessarily need to enlist the help of a consultant. I think that you can just basically read up on first principles about that, by the way, and make sure that you are writing content with a view to, to, um, to using the terminology and creating articles and pieces and blog posts on your site. I, th I think for your site, you absolutely need to have a blog section which is basically going to be a, 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 an important, a fantastic resource for parents who want to find out more about how to alleviate their, their children's mental health issues. Um, I don't think you need to go through the toy fair route. I think that basically if you do things this way, this will open up the entire potential world of clients. Um, I think the great thing about your product is because it's blue sky, blue sky and green field, you should be able to get quite a lot of signal to noise ratio in the media about this. If you can get the, if you can get the other ducks in a row that I've mentioned already, so that it, you, you can, so you could, for example, get it. You could be interviewed on a podcast about mental health, okay, or 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 mm -hmm. child or child. Um, child rearing or you know parent podcast or whatever and and i think that then people will start to 
knock on your door slowly, slowly, but you need to be able to sell it on your own website. Obviously, I'm sure you're, that was your first step. Um, that's like just immediately off the top of my head that this seems like it's got a very juicy marketing story with lots of potential ammo. Your blog and content has to be very much leaning into fortifying that that content and that messaging that I've just described to you. Yeah. Okay. More, more tests of it, more um, firsthand witness experiences with it experts, scientists weighing in on it, you also wading into the space and becoming an authority on it by t paying close attention to, for example, do you have a Google alert on every single like related topics in child mental health, like on that are related to, I mean, pay attention to that. That's stuff that where you could be repurposing content, contacting the people who are the authors of those articles, retweeting what they're writing about within your corporate Twitter account eventually, stuff like that. You want to basically become an authoritative stake of um, a participant um, and, and, and participant in this ecosystem on the subject. That would be secondary though. So do the competitive inquiry, do the huge compilation of all the men mental health NGOs, organizations, service providers, directories, you know, including the conferences, all these, all these kinds of this whole industry, you basically have to get, you got to, you have to penetrate it. It, I don't think it's going to be that difficult considering that you're one of the only, if not the only product addressing this gigantic potential market. Yeah, I think the thing I wanted to, to kind of pick your brain about as well is at the moment, I have a lot of buying on a local level. So, for example, I have really good relations with CAMS um, who are, you know, specialists in child psychology. Um, and I have got a, a local psychologist who's really bought into it and 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 has backed um everything that we're trying to do so we have got lots of anecdotal um kind of support for the product how do i then now go and almost from a marketing point of view um get the buy-in of names and household names that can say actually we think this 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 will really work like where would you say i go next I'm, I'm just going to, um, sorry, Joanne, I, I, maybe I don't want to, I'll just jump in yeah, for a second. Go on, go on. You can help this question too. So I, I don't want to, uh, uh, I want to make sure your knowledge uh, gets over. But there's a couple of things I'm thinking of uh, based on the question you just asked and, and previous points. I'm actually feeling quite emotional about this. So I, I hope I put it in a, a really nice way. Um, can I ask you, first of all, is, is this your first kind of business on your own? Yes, it is. So this is my first um, not-for-profit organization on my own. Okay, um, interesting. You know, yeah. Interesting terminology as well, uh, not-for-profit. Um, because I think what you're doing is so important. The mission is bigger than any patent, any lawyer, any protection. And um, first of all, uh, any advice you get in this world, you have to take with a pinch of salt no matter who it's from okay, including me. But my style of doing business is complete openness, right? I, I, okay, I'll give you some idea, what, some example of what I mean. Mark Tilbury's on here at the moment, listening in to you, right? Mark Tilbury is one of the biggest selling toy, uh, he does airplanes and he sells in toy shops. He knows that he's got 4.5 million followers on TikTok. He's got hundreds of thousands of subscribers on YouTube. Wow. He is, a, he is a incredible individual. With incredible knowledge in the toy sphere. And if you were sharing your idea with him right now, 
he'd be helping you figuring out how to manufacture it, how to get it to market. Yeah. Be, it, do not talk to lawyers. This is my view. Forget those people. Forget trying to protect this. You're going to spend yeah. years, money. Why? Your purpose is what matters, not who controls the purpose. Yeah. But even, even Elon Musk, who is commercially ridiculous and successful, released the patent to the battery he created because his argument was if other car companies can create a better version of Tesla, the world will be a better place. Right? Yeah. That's why he's the richest man on the planet today. Yeah. I completely agree, Simon. And I feel like I've kind of. Let me finish my thread. Otherwise, I won't get to the main. I won't answer your question you just asked. Right? I want to make sure I loop it back round. Right? Because I'm not just preaching to you. I'm, 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 I, you're here to get help. So I, this, is a, this is a bit of advice for you as, as a new to the entrepreneur game. You are blessed by having a mission you really care about. And you have got a little bit, uh, I don't know if it's bad advice or wrong business training or what it is, but I, my business version is just forget the patent. Forget it. Share what it is and people will help you. If people copy you, the worst is someone copies you, great. More kids get help. Right, one less child out there in pain. You win if they copy you, but they won't. Mark Tilbury will help you. He does not want to copy you. Nine out of 10 people want to help you. But if you don't share the idea, even Joanne is there very patient and she's, you know, she's got lots of strengths, but I have to say, I don't think patience is one of them. And, and she likes to know the facts so that she can help you in a prompt and efficient way. And you're holding too much back because of patent. And I'll loop it back around and then let Joanne speak. I look back around and say to you that, you know, when you're saying the question, how can I get people on board to help? You share your story and don't be commercial about it. Mm -hmm. Right? If you're commercial, they will hold back, they will resist, they'll think about how they can make money out of it. If you've got, you know, right. you're protected, you know, you're gonna you're gonna flip the wrong side of their brain on when you have any sort of commercialization to it. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't make money. I'm not saying it doesn't need to be sustainable. There's all there's all sorts of ways to do that. Right. But you will get people on your side if you share your personal story as you do. If you've got a product that can genuinely make a difference to children. And I'm not it's not just Mark that's on here saying this right now. I've got people like Luke, for example. Luke is uh, just written a book about mental health. He works at very senior level at KPMG. He really cares about this issue. He's not looking to copy you. He's looking to help you. You know, there's just I, the list never goes, never stops going on. And someone just said to me one more thing I'll say to you before I let you speak again. You know, you should also think about. Um, People like Lego, you know, Lego, this is someone on TikTok that gave me this idea. This is not my idea, but it's a really good idea. I think, you know, teaming up with people like Lego, they're not crossing this boundary that you're talking about, but you won't speak to them right now because you'll be scared they copy your idea. Let them copy it. They won't anyway. They'll want you as an ambassador. They'll work with you. Lego's network for selling toys and connecting to kids is legendary, you know, and if you can get a conversation going with the CEO, all your manufacturing questions, which is where you started with your questions, all yeah. the way through getting influencers and people on board, your last question you just gave will be solved by a partner like that. What do you think? I think that's amazing advice, Simon. I think I've sat on on something that I think will it, I'm so passionate about. I know how it will support people, support parents and children, and really support solving such a, a vital issue. That actually you're right, I probably have been getting the wrong advice because other people's advice has been approaching it as a business but you're right it's for me it's a passion for me I've been through these things firsthand and I need to get it out there whether you know whether a million people make a million different versions of it we need to reach all of these children and we need to help all of these families so whatever support I can get you know I will 
got with both hands and and, and run with it. Um, so no, I, re I really appreciate that, and that's a really really valuable piece of um, advice from you. So thank you for that. I can't tell you the right now how amazing they are. Mark Tilby again, just I don't think you realise the, the scale of, of, of some of these people. Like Mark Tilby is one of the legends on TikTok, right? He puts your product on TikTok, does one of his sketches around it. That's it. Everyone's going to know about it, you know. Like, uh, and, and there's people on here that are saying they'll help you for free, you know. But I think um, what's also being said is what Joanne said earlier, quite rightly, you know. Uh, social proof is very important. Kind of like nine out of ten doctors say you should use this toothbrush. You know, that is a bit of gold as well from Joanne there. You know, write yeah. that. That's so important. And, and getting an expert in and working with NGOs, another bit of gold from Joanne there. You know, that's why she's a she's just like the market leader in any yeah. big market. Knowing that's not. I mean, you need to le you need to leverage those NGOs with giant. Though they are going to have uh, massive mailing lists, and I think, like you know, you are the marketing. Exactly as Simon's saying, you will attract the self-selecting partners that want to that that are attracted to your your story, your energy, and they won't be in it for short-term commercial gain, and therefore they're going to be more like missions, long-term mission partners with you. Exactly as Simon is saying. So don't be scared. The patent thing is so, most things don't deserve to be patented. Not yeah, a, not, and there's not, so not many hoops kind of to jump through with a patent. And I, honestly, if I'm really honest about it, I don't think that that might even ever happen. You know, so that, and that's kind of why I went for this trademark name, because I think the names are really great. Um, but actually it's about just, just getting it made and getting it to market. And, and that was kind of where I went, right, okay, well, where do I go next? And who do I engage with? Um, so I'm, I'm really grateful to speak to you guys. I've also really been really scared of marketing and social media for a long time. I never needed it in my previous job. Um, so I'm really new to the whole um, TikTok um, social media in general. So we use it for the nonprofit stuff that we do in terms of our social groups and, and reaching a local community. But I don't use it on any any big scale at the moment um so i have been doing some research joanne and you know i i've got a sort of a page that's almost ready to go for the product um i've been contact a uh, content writing so that's kind of good to go to start a blog um so i'm i'm really pleased to hear that i'm <laughs> researching the right things with seo and stuff like that so that's been really insightful um but would you recommend aside from Obviously, because we do have this nonprofit organization, would you recommend having totally separate pages for the product on its own? And how does crowdfunding work? How, how should I approach crowdfunding for this? Oh, actually, crowdfunding is an excellent way to, at the same time, finance and promote your product for this specifically, because crowdfunding is all about narrative stories with the founder, I think. So you know, your story, by putting it in video, basically, um, I think would be very potent and I think that as a personal appeal and people basically funding your like exchanging value for a promise to ship them a, a toy I think that would that seems like it's an extremely suitable vehicle for you to commercialize this project right so I mean I would just I would look at all the different the different crowd crowdfunding platforms. I mean, it, it sounds perfect for Kickstarter. In in the UK, what are the other, there's a couple other big well, ones. Well, there's, there's also equity crowdfunding, but there's Indi Indiegogo, platforms like that. Yeah. But you know, I, I, really think, I really think, um, well, I think you've got a lot of questions about a lot of things. So we've actually got a webinar coming up that might help you with um, uh, web, the, the 
how crowdfunding stuff and and branding uh, elements that but I just want to say something and so I don't forget by the way you just mentioned something else there um, and ironically I'm going to tell you the opposite to what I just said you just mentioned the name and trademarking mm -hmm. that's the thing by the way you should trademark the name you should protect the name not because you're going to sue anybody if they use it but so that you don't get sued for the name that you're using right it, it's about 500 pounds to trademark a name and and I have been caught out uh, before on it and that's a different thing, but you're not you're not protecting your name so that no one else can use it. That doesn't matter. Let them use it. But you're really you're really doing it so that I, and you want to launch a business, it do really well, and some evil corporation come out from the side saying, "Oh, you know, your trading is us, and that's our bear's name, and you've stolen it, and get yourself in trouble." So, so that's actually a different thing, and you should spend five hundred pounds. I mean, if you do it yourself, it's two hundred pounds. I use a lawyer's five hundred pounds, but you can basically do it online quickly and easily yourself. And, and, I, and I think that is, that is a slightly different, that's a structural problem. The other thing I think you need, my guess, just kind of picking up on your, your, your energy, is you need a co-founder, I think. Yeah. Uh, and because and you, you've got the vision, uh, you've got the history, you've got, I think, the credibility from wanting to kind of bring this to market. But I think you might need, you might need a co-founder. And what I suggest you do is you write down your strengths. And maybe, maybe social media could be one of your strengths. I, I'm, I'm guessing not your love, but you could do it. And if it's not your love, but you could do it, then maybe you should think about getting someone else to do it. Or yeah. what I just said, think big, write to the CEO of Lego, tell him your idea, and let them do the social media for you. Sounds good. Sounds like something I'll get onto straight away. Nothing to lose, you know. Writing, people think, oh, you know, um, they won't reply. Okay, don't try, you won't. I've been shocked. I have got some amazing guests in my podcast. And all I've ever done is just write to them saying, what I'm doing, would they come on? And they've said, sure. You know, and other people have never approached them. Yeah. You know, so, so I'm telling you right now, you know, you, there's a, there's, the CEO of Lego is quite a, 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 an amazing leader, actually. And I think you'll be uh, amazed just how open they might be. Worst is they copy your idea. Good, huh? That would be amazing to tell people, look, Lego's helping millions of kids. And that was my letter that they stole the idea. Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's, you know, I I reached out after seeing your podcasts and, and you know, had this amazing opportunity to speak to you guys. And, you know, so I think for myself, on a personal note, just going through the, the last few years, I probably have kind of taken a back seat from the world platform. But obviously now I'm, I'm at that point where I know these products really need to get out there and they do have value. Um, so, yeah, I'll definitely take that on board Simon thank you for that yeah again just getting a lot of love online but just you know um yeah so that so I, I guess we're, we're coming up to time on the podcast as well um Joanne I don't know if you want to add anything before we leave uh, but we I want I'm conscious of everyone's time uh, you guys as well as the listeners um but is there anything uh, you want to add Joanne before we close no I think that we we agreed on I mean practically everything it was great to meet you Soraya, I wish you luck. I mean, you have something really magical potentially there. So I hope that you're going to pursue it to completion. I, I do want to echo Simon's suggestion that it is a co-founder is a great idea. Just yeah. to take, just to kind of spread the, the, the pressure, the stress, and to also, it's also motivational. And, I, and as at my age, I can't emphasize, it really is a great boost and boost every day to have one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much, guys, for your help. Zariah, just to say again, um, you know, what I like uh, especially about you, you clearly are listening and not taking offence by kind of 
straightforward feedback. That means you're coachable, which means you're very investable as well, by the way. Thank so you. If, if you want help uh, to scale this up, please, this is just a quick today, introduce you yeah. to the world. I get some help from, you know, I think one of the best marketers in the world, Joanne, and, and, and get a bit of feedback. But as I say, you know, sometimes advice as well, you know, take what you like and, and leave what you don't, okay? And, and so, um, but, but please do loop back round. There's a lot of people online that want to help you. So once you've got yourself kind of sorted out how you want to approach this after this feedback today, then let us know and we'll see how we can help you next steps, okay? That's brilliant. I'm, you know, I'm really keen to sit under the learning tree of anyone who can help me. So thank you so much for this platform today, Simon. And thank you, Joanne, for your words of wisdom. Pleasure. Thank, thank you both for you. and sharing your stories and insights. And I look forward to seeing you at the EA Festival in July. Yes, Simon. Yes. I'll make sure that there's some kind of megaphone there for you. I look forward. I, I don't think I need a megaphone. I can shout. I can okay. shout. Okay. Leave All right, okay. guys. Thank, thank you both. Okay. Bye-bye. So there we go, folks. That's today's broadcast. I um, hope you found it insightful. I am. Um, I'm actually feeling quite emotional about uh, Soraya's idea. I think she's doing something really important. I've got a three-year-old, um, and so I kind of know how uh, important the emotion is in in a child, and how that can affect you so deeply as you get older. Um, you know, I, I have mentioned before, my father died when I was 15 years old. It definitely affected me, although, of course, you just push through, especially English people, we just push through the pain instead of embracing the pain. And, and I think later in my life, it definitely affected me. It made me a workaholic and, and sometimes hide away from my emotions. And I've since seeked help, uh, but I think people don't. And I think when you're a kid, if you can address these things that come up early, then I think it, it makes a huge difference to people's lives. And especially now with COVID, don't think there's anything more important than than addressing your mental health. And so um, her, her business idea and story um, really resonated with me today. I hope it did with you too. If it did, and you felt like the world should hear about what she's up to, and, and, and we kind of have a bit of a rally cry to get the world to help her, please share this broadcast. You just hit the share button. It doesn't cost you anything. If you felt anything advice-wise was useful to maybe one of your friends starting a business or anybody out there starting a business, if you resonate with the advice that Joanne and myself gave, please share as well. As I say, we're fighting the algorithm. Um, everybody is, and um, we, are, we are giving free knowledge to people. We're helping people. We don't want anything in return. So we're not going to pay YouTube to get this YouTube video or this, um, this, this uh, Twitter video out to the world. We're relying on you and, and so, um, so that we don't have to charge people for help um, and, and pay YouTube instead. Um, so I really would be grateful if you guys can share this broadcast. In addition, if you have any further comments, um, I, I, please feel free to drop them down below. I can't tell you right now how grateful I am for people like Mark Tilbury, Luke Westwood, John Wright, Brendan. Um, I, I just can't say thank you enough to all the listeners uh, that are contributing to today's broadcast. Um, I know how busy all of you are with your own businesses and and, and high-profile uh, personal social media activities. So I'm grateful that you come onto my broadcast and then help uh, and, and show uh, Soraya um, that the community here and how we're all willing to help people. And so I really believe in purpose over profit. I know a lot of you do too, um, and, and that's why you're here. I th I'm very grateful. Um, smash that like button, one more request. Do what you can to get the uh, awareness out that there's a system here um, in, in my platform to help people for free with their ideas, get them on the right path, 
make their businesses work so they can hire people later and save our economy, but also, um, just as importantly, have a purposeful and fulfilling lives themselves. So that's it, folks. We'll be back on live tonight, 8.30 p.m. And we have five entrepreneurs coming on this evening that we'll be helping. And so feel free to check back in. Otherwise, uh, we'll see you for the podcast tomorrow. We have an incredible entrepreneur coming on. I mentioned before we have Nick Jenkins. He is one of the dragons from Dragon's Den season 13 and season 14 coming on. He sold his business Moonpig for 150 million pounds. He's very open about it. He made 42 million pounds himself personally. He now invests in startups, advises people in business, sits on all sorts of interesting boards, helping the world become a better place. He has some incredible insights to share. Very different story to mine. He's a sole founder. I've always built businesses with other people. A sole founder mindset is a fascinating one. And I think you'll really enjoy his insights on building businesses on his own and why he does it that way. And so please join that podcast. I think you will be mind blown. And I will see you either tonight or for tomorrow's broadcast. See you soon, guys. Have a wonderful day.